Hey everyone out there, how's it going? Welcome to Screenspeak. It's the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. My name is Jordan Anderson, this is my podcast, and I want to thank each and every one of you today for coming by and giving this episode a listen. If this happens to be your first time here, well, welcome to my podcast. Here, you're going to find all kinds of content that's all centered around the world of movies, both big ones, small ones, and in this particular episode, Iowa-based movies. Now, before proceeding along with this episode, please go ahead and do me a solid first and hit that follow button and or bell. Boop, boop. This way, you stay up to date on the latest new content while simultaneously helping to grow the size of ScreenSpeak. You doing that is seriously, tremendously helpful, so please, please do that. Seriously makes a big difference. If you use social media, just go ahead and search for ScreenSpeak on Instagram and Facebook. That's where it's at right now. Likewise, hit the follow button and the bell and take part in the ScreenSpeak community online. And lastly, if for some reason you may be inclined to want to reach out to me directly, you can do that. Go ahead and simply email the podcast at any time. All the information for that and the socials I mentioned, it's all in the description for this and any episode. And I will get back to you as soon as I can on that. And I really actually do mean me. I'm not just saying that. I'm not big enough just yet to have an assistant that's going to answer all my requests that come flooding in. So it really is actually me responding to you in the event that you reach out. And honestly, any any given time, really, I, I welcome feedback, I welcome questions, and or requests for any potential future opportunities or collaborations with other content creators out there. I'm seriously open to it. My door is open to you and my audience. So please go ahead and communicate with me anytime you want on there, and I will get back to you, not just saying that. So all that said, I appreciate you all making it through with those plugs. They have to happen for the show to go ahead and continue, right? Uh, so that said, let's go ahead and get on with the show. This episode marks the second conversation that I recorded with filmmakers at the 2023 Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival. In this one, I spoke with Annette Busby, writer and executive producer of the Iowa-based documentary The Collins Story, Connecting the Moon to Earth, Steps to the Moon. Joining me in the conversation with Annette is Rod Bloxham and Steve Tyson, both of which are retired Collins Aerospace employees that assisted Annette in making this documentary be a reality. Now, as I mentioned, this documentary is Iowa-based. It tells the story of an Iowa-based company, which back then was called the Collins Radio Company, and now, over the years, has transformed into Collins Aerospace. And it talks all about the contributions that that company made toward the USA, go America, uh, <laughs> uh, their space race in the 1960s, and specifically how the Collins Radio Company produced vital communication technology that helped the men on board the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo space capsules talk to Earth during their respective missions. And I will tell you right now, that's kind of a wild thing about this documentary and something that I think a lot of us take for granted is how complex it is to actually get communication over a radio wavelength to go from space down to earth and have it be clearly understood and heard. Not an easy feat, and this is something that this documentary explores. Now, I'll also tell you all this. I am by no means an expert in engineering, uh, not even remotely close. My knowledge really pales in comparison with the three individuals that I had on for this. So admittedly, when walking into this episode, I was actually kind of nervous and I was afraid that I might not be able to keep up with their big, big brains on the subject matter that this documentary was all about. However, thankfully, and to my surprise, uh, this turned out to be a non-issue. 
we actually spent most of our conversation just talking about the story itself, uh, talking about why this story was worth telling, how did it all really come together, how does something like this actually get funding? Because I don't think that's something the average person always thinks about is how do you get funding and backing to make a project like this happen? And really interestingly enough is how do you really take complex, very engineer-specific information and break that down and form a narrative around it for your average audience to be able to connect with? And, and, and honestly, so much more was covered during the conversation beyond just that. Now, I can tell you just my impression on these individuals. I think each of them, you could just tell, has a wealth of knowledge in their direct fields of expertise. And I'm sure if time allowed, I probably could have found plenty more to discuss with them. But when I was recording with this conversation, it was during the midst of the festival. You can kind of hear that in the background. And any, any filmmakers or people I talked with at the festival, I tried to be as respectful as possible towards their time and wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking away from their enjoyment of the festival, but also still getting something out of their time, uh, which I think this conversation shows for that. So there you go. Um, now on the subject of this recording, I, I do admit everybody, I got a few confessions I need to make about this. Okay. Now the first one, and I mentioned this just briefly is that there is a fair amount of background noise that's in this episode. Uh, I was recording in what they called the VIP space, uh, area of the festival, uh, which was very nice that the festival provided me this uh, specific space to be able to have as my own to record. But one of the drawbacks of that is that sometimes you have uh, high amounts of people that are kind of going in and out of the area, and there's no real way to get rid of that background noise, okay? I don't think it's detrimental to the episode, but I just feel it's worth explaining why that noise is there so that you're not just like, what, what the hell is going on there? Uh, it's a festival. There's people that are there, so that's why that noise or noises are there. <clears throat> now... I also have to admit, and I'm not proud of this, but just, you know, full transparency, everybody, this is what I do. Uh, there were a few audio issues that I had with this particular episode. Uh, this was the first time that I actually had three people on. And so uh, one person kind of had to share the mic with one of the others. And I was also having some issues getting the audio levels configured properly prior to the actual recording with Annette, Rod, and Steve. Now, I did what I could to make sure in post-production that it's the best it could be, but I'm sure to those that have, you know, fine-tuned superior ears, you might listen to some parts on this and be like, oh, that doesn't sound as good as maybe some of this uh, guy's other episodes. And I would agree with you, it's probably not. But I just want to be fully, again, transparent on the quality. Um, I want to make sure that when I do bring quality to everybody, that it is the best that I can bring at the time. Um... Uh, and the conversation, it still is very good. So I don't, I didn't want to like scrap the whole episode and just say it's not worth it. Okay. Now, <clears throat> if Annette, Rod, and Steve, if you happen to be listening to this, which hopefully you are, uh, I'm more than happy to make up the conversation with you guys. Uh, if you want to re record something or do a follow up, I'm totally happy to do that. No pressure, no obligation, but the offer is out there if you want to do that. So, with all that said, I really do think that you will find our conversation interesting. I think you're going to walk away from it with a newfound appreciation for not only communication technology during the 1960s, but also what the state of Iowa uh, and some of our, you know, some of our dedicated uh, engineers brought to the table during this very important time in our country's history. So I really think it's interesting. So 
all that said, which I think I've said that like three times now, but whatever, all that said, enjoy the conversation and afterwards check out the episode description so that you can learn more about the Collins story, the documentary, the Arthur A. Collins Association, and so much more. It's all in the description of this episode and I'm sure Annette, Rod, and Steve would be thrilled to have people express interest after listening to this podcast. All right, that's all I have. Enjoy the conversation with Annette, Rod, and Steve on the Collins story, Connecting the Moon to Earth, Steps to the Moon! Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I know we just met a few minutes ago formally in the lobby, and I just saw the documentary. But if you do each want to introduce yourself, we'll go ahead and get started and talk about this. So, who wants to start? Uh, I'll start. My name is Rod Bloxham, um, retired from Collins and working with the Arthur A. Collins Legacy Association. Nice to meet you, sir. Steve Tyson, also a Collins retiree. I- I worked here for 22 years and retired about five years ago and uh, working with Arthur A. Collins Legacy Association now uh, coming to the public as the Collins story. Very, very cool. And you? Annette Busby and I am the uh, writer and executive producer of the Collins story documentary series and the one being featured today, Steps to the Moon. Now, where else has this been featured before? Because I saw on the poster that there was a lot of different festival insignias around it, so I assume this has been shown around. It has. We've, it's been shown uh, at numerous uh, festivals uh, in Iowa and all uh, around the country. Um, so it's great to get that kind of exposure for uh, this Collins radio and some of the... Um, amazing uh, pieces of technology that uh, happened here in Cedar Rapids. Do you know where the first place it premiered at? Like, where you first debuted this? Oh, right here. <laughs> yeah, right here. What was that response like? I think we filled the theater, didn't we? Yeah, and we then did, we had yeah. two screens going. Uh, oh, my God. And there were people lined up outside here. Bruce Taylor's been very good to us. He, he uh, has let us have his whole theater, all the theaters, not just one theater, every theater, for each of our premieres, we premiered all three of the Collins Story movies here, and each time we filled the entire theater, it was just, it was amazing. The very first one, we weren't sure how many uh, how many uh, people were going to show up. We, Bruce asked me, how many people do you think are going to show up? I said, oh, maybe 100, maybe 200. This is before you had the really fancy seats and stuff in there, you could pack a lot more people in. Well, so we had planned to show it in three theaters, well, all of a sudden the whole parking lot filled up, people were parking on the streets around and stuff, because the word got out of Collins that... Uh, that we were going to be showing this movie, and uh, and everybody showed it. We had to turn people away after about seven hundred people showed up. Oh my gosh. We turned the rest away. So yeah. we yeah. filled every theater. <laughs> now, why? Uh, first, actual question I want to ask is just why did you all want to tell this story? Well, it's uh, there's a lot of accomplishments that happened here in Cedar Rapids as a result of Collins Radio in these technical fields and. Arthur Collins, though a genius in, in this field of electronics and communication and avionics, was really very publicity shy. He actually never tried to bring any credit to himself or even to the company very much. And so it's kind of an untold story. And uh, there are so many of us that we spent our career here. Uh, we felt that, uh, well, two reasons. One, it's a story that needs to be told. And secondly, to try to inspire 
students, younger people to consider a, a field in, in technology because that's that's where this world's going. <laughs> I know one of the things I admired actually about the documentary was uh, the, the several engineering testimonials that, that were in the documentary. I, I feel like in stories like related to space, <clears throat> you of course usually have the astronaut's perspective, uh, the people that are on the front page of the magazine and whatnot. Yeah. But engineers, uh, you know, just by default, you don't really see them kind of get in front of the camera and get to really put a spotlight on their work. And I did notice that they all had a pretty unanimous uh, enthusiasm when they were talking about their work. And I didn't understand some of the verbiage around it, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not an engineer. Uh, but I just enjoyed seeing how passionate they were that, you know, showing what they did basically helped all these people be able to communicate with each other. Completely blew my mind for like wavelength communications. I had no idea it was that complex. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think as we were interviewing um, these engineers, uh, you know, at the time, uh, I mean, they it was kind of just another program. So mm -hmm. it wasn't, um, they uh, of course realized uh, the significance, I think more after the fact that what a, a huge thing it was for the country and what a huge thing it was, um, you know, technology-wise that was accomplished. And so now I think they feel very enthusiastic to share their role in it, uh, the Collins engineers' role in, in it, after we've had a few decades to look back and to see actually what they were able to accomplish. Yeah, I was going to ask all, uh, each of you, what, what what's the thing in, in the documentary that, you know, you were most impressed with or, like, the thing that, like, stands out to you the most for, like, the achievement side of things? Because oh. <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot of specific things that they put So, the, so the fact that the, the astronauts were totally dependent on this line of communications, there weren't were no significant computational capability in the spacecraft. Mm -hmm. they, they had a very minimal computer in the spacecraft. So, for example, on Apollo 13, when they had to get home, they had to completely change the mission of that spacecraft from landing on the moon to getting them home as a lifeboat. Mm -hmm. They had to completely reprogram that computer. That all had to come up over a Collins voice link. And then they had to reprogram. They actually gave them all the, the bits and bytes for the, to reprogram the computer over a voice link while they were traveling back to Earth at a lunar module that was intended to land on the moon, not to travel back to the Earth and from the moon. Uh, that thing was not supposed to ever leave the moon, and so uh, they had to completely reprogram that computer. And every every bit of reprogramming uh, happened had to happen over a radio. And and people don't understand that that all happened that had to happen over those columns radios and over those. Ground stations all the way around the world had to transmit that information up, and if it wasn't for Collins Radio, those guys never would have been saved. Yeah, I, it, it, it's kind of crazy to, to think about. I, I know one of the things that stood out to me was when they're going over the very specific size constraints of the radio communications, and they're showing just how freaking tiny uh, that pot is. I'm like, somebody would like you know suffocate from claustrophobia, and you know, let alone be worried about if they're even going to come home from a, a journey on that. Uh, but just having the, just thinking about how the engineers had to be so, you know, just minded down to how small something needs to be to fit in the grand scheme of things, I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, has, I mean, I'm assuming like right now, like things are probably much like either smaller or bigger. <laughs> much, much smaller. Yeah. Much, much smaller. Yeah. Much, much smaller. And, and, and the spacecraft are bigger now, so the Artemis is going up. Going back to the moon after fifty some years, yeah, fifty four years, 
uh, is going to actually be able to carry four people and a lot more equipment. Mm -hmm. um, but but you know the size constraints we had with Mercury, you know, the transistor had just been invented at the time of the Mercury program, so they were actually soldering discrete transistors in the radios and stuff. So each radio only could have one channel. <laughs> That's you know because of the size constraints, and, and so they had to pick a channel and decide, okay, this is. This is the frequency this radio will transmit on, and they had to wire it into the radio, build it into the radio. That's insane. Um, you know, that's that's that's, and, and they had batteries. You know, we had 1960 battery technology for the Mercury. You know, so you had you had to power it all for for its length of its mission on 1960 battery technology. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I just think about like all the the things in technology that, well, communications wise, that I think that we basically take for granted. Like in my pocket right now is a supercomputer. No is my phone and yeah. I just look at that and I'm like oh my god like how have we come from here to now um, I, but I've always had a very big appreciation for engineers I don't have to understand it all to know that their their unique minds are really honestly what kind of took us to to the level of communication that we have today uh, and I don't I didn't really think about that from the Collins perspective because what I know about Collins is you know that they work with like you know, military defense contractors and they do stuff like that on airplanes and stuff but I never really thought about it from a space perspective um, have you had a lot of people after you have premiered this and you know come up and talk to you and be like I had no clue about this and you know things like that actually those of us that worked on making this learned a lot too I mean there were things that we uncovered that none of us knew about at the time so it's still kind of a historic uh, expedition type thing to to figure out exactly because there wasn't a lot of publicity you got to go find these people or read these documents and look at these photographs to well to and there's a lot of video footage I, I was surprised like how much was actually uh, you guys were able to yes. collect for that what was the challenges like getting that well, it kind of fell in our laps. <laughs> the company, the company had their own photographers and videographers, 16 millimeter film back then. And, uh, through the years, they had a library of some 300 pounds of 16 millimeter film. And, um, they uh, actually dissolved the, the contract work. So all of a sudden, there's all this film taking up space, and they um, basically came to the Arthur Collins Legacy Association and says, we'll donate this film, but you got to haul it away. So we took a pickup load of film and um, got it digitized and color corrected, and that's where some of our resources come from. And how, how long is the process of color correction take on, on a project like this? Like, well... If you spend the right money with the right company, they'll do it while they've digitized it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Basically, a, a dollar a foot. Uh, there's an outfit in Phoenix that'll do it for that. And what was it like getting like the just like the fundraising for this film? Because I'm always curious about the business aspect of how movies like this get the financing behind it. So could you speak to that? Well, yeah, <laughs> the. Uh, Arthur Collins Legacy Associate. We formed it just so that we could raise money. It's it's a nonprofit, 501c3, sure. and uh, we've gotten since we've done a lot of things, support from the company, support from other retirees primarily, and uh, and ourselves, our own volunteer labor involved. In it. So it's enabled us to hire professional uh, music uh, narration, a writer. You know, these kinds of things to, to really make a quality film. How do you write something like this? 
I mean, like, how, like I'm just really curious, like, how do you structure, like, the narrative on the documentary? You know, I, first I just uh, tried to start with just the historical events of the decade and, and what happened with the missions, and then, um, and then, and again, credit to the, to the volunteers from uh, the Arthur Collins Legacy Association who, you know, we meet every week and, and uh, I went through uh, the Collins publications and, and pulled out uh, information from uh, those uh, that reported events of what Collins was doing. And oftentimes I needed help to, uh, to map out what exactly does this engineering mean so that we could put it in story form. But yeah, yeah. but first I just kind of wanted to get that picture of what was going on in the country at the time, what was happening with the space program. And then, um, and then we uh, implemented Colin's role in their important role in that uh, whole storyline. So. Yeah, uh, a lot of post-it notes above my laptop, you know, and yeah. trying to keep things in a in a correct timeline and time frame. And you know. I I know, um, you know, some some of the things I also appreciated about the documentary was it kind of was a history refresher for myself. Uh, it's been a while since I've been in school, so you know, just talking about like the Cuban Missile Crisis and the tensions going on with Russia trying to compete for space dominance and all these things, and then you know, the, the periodic pepper were almost every time they're like, and then there's Collins to do the communications. I'm like, yes, there they are. <laughs> they're continuously uh, making their impact. I was particularly impressed, actually, and I had no idea like how in the hell it works. Uh, but when they're talking about bouncing the image of uh, President Eisenhower uh, off the moon, I think it was. I was like, huh? Like, I, but then, I, but then, like, I don't know. It makes me just think about other things where it's like, you know, just downloading an image off your phone from the internet. Well, how does that work? I mean, engineers can tell you how that works, but you know, just kind of on a grand scale like that for the subject of testing in space, I was like, that is kind of mind-boggling to me. Yeah, Associated Press had a device that actually was able to use telephone lines to, to send images, and that's what we borrowed from the Associated Press station here to do that experiment, was uh, was, was their equipment that was normally used over a telephone line, and we were repurposing it to basically do it over a signal that was being bounced off of uh, an echo balloon or off the moon and, and, and could show that we could do the same thing as you would over a telephone Line. And there yep. were no satellites at that time. This was this was the you know, the moon, of course, is the natural satellite. And then there was the balloon, which was a, the first artificial satellite. That's that's kind of an interesting story. Is how that image happened. It was not in the plan, as as my understanding. You know, these guys had a specific set of goals to do, and they designed and built these stations. And once they got things working, the story I heard was they said, "Well, hey, you know, let's." Uh, Let's see if we can send a, 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 an image using this fax machine, which is what people, newspapers would send images back and forth for on, on the wireline, uh, Ma Bell with a fax modem. So they basically, just on the spur of the moment, got one of these things, hooked it up at both ends, down in Dallas and up here, put that picture of President Eisenhower on the drum, and it scans it over 15 seconds or so. And it made national history, but it was just the engineers fooling around with some new idea. And I, I think to your, I think to your point too. It's, I think you know, so, today's technology we take so for granted, Absolutely. you know, and it's just with us all the time, right? Yeah. And then to kind of hear the story of how, the beginning of it, I think is is yeah. really fascinating to be able to share that. And again, 
um, how Collins Radio was at the forefront of, of that. Well, and still to this day, I mean, like, you know, if you even say the word Collins, I mean, you might think, like, Collins Community Credit Union, but you'll probably think <laughs> of Collins Aerospace or Rockwell Collins, a lot of people would know about it. Um, I'm curious, have you, it sounds like this is not the first documentary project that you've done. I, I know um, one of you were saying that there's another one that's coming, right? Yeah, yes, there is, yeah. So this is this is actually the fourth one. The fourth one that you're seeing today is the fourth one that was done. What are the first three? <laughs> so the first is Culture of Innovation. Okay. And then, then we did Moon Talk to be in time for the 50th anniversary of the men going around the moon. The, 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 basically, the mission that's going to be repeated by Artemis here in a few weeks was done 54 years ago Apollo by, by Apollo 8. <laughs> so uh, so we, we wanted to make that 50th anniversary and premiere it here in Bruce's Theater uh, in time for the 50th anniversary. So we had to make that movie first. Then the movie then Right after that, we had to jump in, and we wanted to show Life on the Moon, which is another one of those happy accidents. So when, when Apollo started, in fact, when they were actually doing the Apollo program, there was no plan to bring back any live images. President Kennedy had said, I want to send a moon, man to the moon and get him back alive. You know, that was his, that was his mission. There wasn't anything about broadcasting it on TV or anything in this mission. But some Collins engineers had looked at it and said, hey, within the bandwidth that's available in that signal, the A signal called this band, you'll hear about it later. And in that signal, one of the Collins engineers had figured out there's enough room in that signal to put a live TV channel in there as well, on top of all the biomedical information, on top of all the aircraft, uh, the spacecraft instrumentation, and on top of the voice channel, there was still enough room left in that signal. Uh, to put a uh, to put a live TV signal, if they, they skinned it down a little bit, made it black and white, they can put a live TV signal. And so they went to NASA and said, "Hey, we want to bring back a live TV signal." And NASA said, "No, we don't want to do that." And they said, "But you can, you know." And finally, somebody at NASA said, "Hey, this might be a great idea if it actually works." <laughs> so, so we had to go and get a camera built. There was no camera built to go to space, you know, and operate in the vacuum of space. So they went to RCA and got a camera built that was small enough and whatnot to go in the Apollo system. And then the Collins engineers figured out how to how to put that signal on top of the S band and. Uh, and bring back that live signal. That's, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> Another happy accident. <laughs> no, but it's fun, and I, th I think the, the documentary speaks to the spirit of engineering where so much of it, because I felt like this was repeated throughout, where it's like, okay, there's a problem. We have no idea how we're going to do this, none whatsoever. We're just going to basically toy around with things and get things to basically come to fruition through enough willpower and brain power just kind of smashed together. And I imagine hard work because I think at one point they say that we're available 24-7, like, like you can call to like 4 a.m. to work on this stuff. <laughs> that was no joke, yeah, those guys worked. 24 7 365 for years on these programs. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that uh, going back to this talking about our, our spoiled, uh, <laughs> today's, uh, today's youth being spoiled on technology, but the, the work ethic back then is, you know, it's, it's much more tiresome and, and tedious, and you don't have the resources available. Like, there's not a YouTube video to watch to figure out some of this stuff. <laughs> that, that's true. And, you know, uh, the uh, manned space flight schedule in the 60s was so aggressive so that they could meet the 1969 goal to land a man on the moon. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just one right after another, and each yeah. mission was pushing the envelope a little bit further out in space or, you know, doing different maneuvers or testing different, you know, uh, different things that needed to be done, docking, um, so that they could get to the moon. So, yeah, it was, it was uh, a big job, and they worked around the clock. 
what's what would be like a message that each of you would want to give to you know engineers that maybe actually see this or somebody that maybe has an interest uh, in doing this type of work? Because I did feel that there is a not like a blatant pitch of like do this for a living, but there is definitely uh, an inspiring message I think in there for people that would want to pursue this. What would you tell them? Well, I you know <laughs> I spent my career in engineering. So I'm kind of partial to this, but uh, I think STEM education, you know, the science, engineering, technology, and math subjects are something that uh, people shouldn't shy away from. I mean, you hear a lot of students will say, well, I'm not very good in math. I'm going to look at something else. Well, I think it's perseverance and using your imagination and imagining what you could do and pursuing that goal. And, yeah, you might not succeed initially, but if you stay with it, uh, eventually you'll do it. Uh, so I think a lot of the, the, the two words I would use is follow your imagination and, and have a lot of perseverance. In, in well, there's work. definitely a lot of imagination on display in this, especially when I, I think they also said at one point that Collins was like four or five years ahead of a lot of different things going on, very forward thinking. Many things they did. Yeah. yeah. What about you both? Yeah, so I was an engineer my whole career as well, but like, like Ron said it very well, you don't have to be great at math, you just have to work hard at it. It's, it's hard work. To, well, anything you do like that is going to be hard work, but if you really want to make a contribution, if you want to solve problems it's for the future, you know, for, for humanity and for our country, it's, uh, you, you got to be willing to put in that kind of work. And if you're willing to work hard to try and do things like that, anything's possible. Uh, amazing what you can do sometimes, and amazing if you're willing to work hard, what, what responsibility and, and, and jobs people are willing to give you sometimes, just because you're willing to think creatively and, and, and solve a problem that nobody else has solved before yet. And very collaboratively too, because there's so many people that have to work together to do it, so it's never one solo vision, never, ever. That's that's correct. A team Teamwork from various disciplines can solve a problem that an individual can't really sometimes. Yeah, so I think uh, Steve and Rod both touched on this a little bit too, but I think what um, what's come um, to light for me is that I think maybe sometimes if kids think, oh, math or study science, you know, and, you know, might have kind of a connotation that it's just dry and boring, but, um, you know, uh, what, what you can do creatively, you know, what your imagination can think about, it's... It's a huge creative element to it, too. You can take those tools and just, um, you know, um, your imagination is the limit. And I like for engineers as well that there's clearly cases of failure where, like, the rockets don't launch off fully big explosions. Which those, those are from the view, but also I'm sure someone's, like, looking at their ledgers going, like, oh, God, this is going to cost a fortune to this mess. Um, but I really do admire the perseverance of trial, error, trial, error, and just, you know, all the troubleshooting that has to go into getting something to work, even if it's just like, oh, we have to get this exact screw in the right place to make this thing work. I really think that's an, a very admirable. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about in this in this movie? I don't want to take you away too much from the festival, so I'm trying to be mindful. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure I answered fully your question you asked earlier about what we're doing for the future. Yeah, so, yeah. So one of the things we are trying to do, you kind of touched on a little bit, is inspire yeah. people as to what else they can do, what can be done. One of the movies we're looking at right now is, is looking at Collins 
contributions to things like the internet, to things like cell phones, to things like Wi-Fi. And so we're trying to, we're pulling together a movie, we don't even have a working title for it yet, but we're working, we've been working on it for a little while here. And it's gonna talk about some of Colin's contributions to the internet and to Wi-Fi and to cell phones and, and things like that. And so uh, uh, Colin certainly had a, had a role to play. We didn't invent the internet, but we had a, certainly had a major role to play in that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're a participant in the first internet demonstration, so. So how early into the development of this thing are you? I mean, it sounds like there's quite a bit to go. But. We're still interviewing. We're early, we, yeah. we actually just interviewed the guys who actually are credited with in, inventing the internet. We just interviewed them but a couple who, who of weeks is, who ago. Are they? Like, who, who would oh, they? Uh, Dr. Robert Kahn okay. and uh, Dr. Vincent Cerf. We interviewed both of them, Annette did. Where are they from? Well, currently they live in uh, Reston, Virginia. Okay. So we went out there with a camera crew and... Uh, took over one of their office rooms and <laughs> they spent three hours with us on camera three hours wow yeah, yeah. that's exciting yeah when uh i mean i'm sure it's far too early to say when you think this would be ready by or you know next year sometime <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes maybe in time for next year's festival that would be good yeah not to, no, no pressure right but, right uh, <laughs> No, well, I mean, I, I would love to plug uh, information for it. I mean, I'm happy to put uh, information in the description of this episode and just kind of, you know, share that this is coming. Um, where you. could people learn more about this once it does take more shape? I mean, do you have like a website? Do you, how, do you, how do you get the word out? Uh, yes, uh, there's, our website is ArthurACollins.org. And uh, there's announcements and things on there, and, and a lot of history you can look at, too. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to share that in there. Yeah, okay, so that ArthurCollins.org website also has the movies you can download them over Vimeo if you don't have a DVD player to play the hard copies of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so you can download them, uh, you can download those there as well, and, and eventually this new movie will be out there as well. So all, all four of our existing movies, I think, are available on that website now. And, uh, oh, and we have a fifth <laughs> we forgot to mention, oh. uh, a short one. Uh, what's the title on it now? It, it, uh, it talks about Colin's contributions to World War II. You saw that, yeah. just a little short snippet of that yeah. in this movie here. We talked about Colin's contributions to World War II. We, we detail that out as a, as a story of its own uh, because it was so significant. We were in the top 1% of all defense suppliers um, for World War II, and so... Uh, uh, we did kind of detail that out as a short video. We probably ought to enter that in the festival maybe too next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, the three years' time uh, also for just humoring me and kind of dumbing down the engineer talk because I admit some of that stuff very much goes <laughs> over my head. Uh, but I still very much appreciated learning about it. Uh, just being a Cedar Rapids native myself, you know, just gives me more appreciation for the area here. So really Thank appreciate you. it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'll let you guys go, but hopefully enjoy the rest of the festival. I I'm sure I'm going to as well. Uh, there's other films you're going to watch, right? You're going to mm -hmm. see somebody else's sure. stuff, right? Absolutely, yes. It's, okay. it's so cool to see what um, other people with Iowa Connections are creating and putting out there. So, yeah. No, I, I think that's one of the things I love about podcasting right now is that giving voices to projects like yours, projects that are going on in Iowa, because... So many people don't associate um, entertainment industry with with Iowa, but I would love to see that change. So, yes, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Yes. Right, well, I'll let you guys go here. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you very much.